You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Boy, Brad, uh, I'm Janine Bitson, and I'm joined by... Brad Gray. (laughs) And I'm just so excited that we had Tiffany on. I mean, like, I'm getting a little tongue-tied myself here. I I thought there were some some great ideas uh, of how we can integrate the rosary into our family and just different practices like the Asking Mary for a special gift every day. i got to remember to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's just so beautiful because it's, you know, every day we want to grow deeper in our faith. Mm -hmm. It's just so important that as we're on this pilgrimage, that we're always working, striving, being open uh, to learn more. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, how beautiful is that to to just invite Mary to just give us a blessing, give us a gift every day, I should say, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not specific. Yeah, right? right, exactly. And that's even... That's even greater. Yeah. And the beauty of it, of course, is that, uh, you know, Mary knows the heart of Jesus uh, unlike anyone else, you know. Uh, and so it's, she's able to lead us into an encounter with Jesus in a way that, you know, we might struggle to get there ourselves. Um, and some of the other great saints and friends that we have that that have walked with Jesus and known him well were the apostles. And our next uh, our next guest, uh, Rod Bennett, is written the book, These Twelve, The Gospel Through the, the Apostles' Eyes, all about helping us to see Jesus, uh, see the gospel through the eyes of the apostles. So good morning to you, Rod. Thanks for being with us this morning. Good morning. It's my pleasure. So as we're getting started off, Rod, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I uh, am technically, if I'm known at all to any of your listeners, I'm known as the author of Full Witnesses, pretty well-known book of uh, Catholic apologetics. It's also my conversion story from uh, evangelical churches. And uh, the the new book is uh, in that, along those same lines. It's an imaginative uh, uh, look into the Gospels from the point of view of the Twelve Apostles. What mm. was it like to become one of the Twelve Apostles? And how would they understand what it was that had happened to them after it was over? Hmm. That's great. I mean, I love that reflection. It's been something that has been a little bit opened up for me, just to kind of taking that perspective through The Chosen. I just yeah. have really appreciated... I was the, just thinking about yeah. the same thing. We've been watching it lately through Lent. and So just kind of this effort to humanize the apostles to actually put us in their place is something that I, I would say that wasn't a regular part of my practice before. Uh-huh. And so I, I love that you're, you're kind of taking that and expanding on it. And tell us a little bit about, about the book and like what inspired you to write it. Well, it was challenged by, well, it's been in the works, really, and kind of in the back of my mind. I've got notes on this stuff that go back to the early 80s, long before I became Catholic wow. in 1996. And it started, really, when uh, I had re- I was reading C.S. Lewis at the time, who, though, although he never actually became a Roman Catholic, he uh, he got pretty far down the road, and mm-hmm. I think about him as a kind of Anglo-Catholic Episcopalian. And mm-hmm. he's... Uh, at any rate, he was ta- he talked about things like this, about the role of the apostles, the apostolic nature of the church, in a way that I wasn't accustomed to hearing from somebody who had kind of gotten the green light from my uh, evangelical uh, uh, mentors. So I started reading Lewis, and uh, and then one day at a church retreat, I asked a, a young Baptist seminarian that I that I knew and was friends with at the time. Uh, what he thought about what the role uh, of the apostles was in God's economy of salvation. And he surprised me by being a little bit testy about it. I think he had uh, 
gotten the sense that maybe I had taken the step in the wrong direction with all this kind of church stuff. So he, he wanted to nip it in the bud, and he, uh, uh, he said the apostles had no special role at all. They wow. just happened to be the first Christians. And uh, Jesus used some of them to help write the New Testament. But other than that, their, their job, if there was any special job, was over at the end of the first century A.D. So that, that was not satisfying to me at the time. Yeah. And again, I was aware of the, the, the kind of preemptory tone that he used on the subject. And I'm afraid that he didn't nip it in the bud. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> here, I mean, it, it doesn't say are. much here about Jesus, does it? It doesn't but, say well, much about right, Jesus. It, yeah, you yeah can just you know, use these people, set them aside, and move on with your business, right? Well, especially the uh, how important the idea of apostolicity is if you look at it closely in the Gospels and in the Acts. You won't even have to refer to any extra biblical sources or sources from tradition. A lot of this stuff is pretty much on the surface. Uh, Jesus goes out of the way to choose twelve in the same way that uh, King David, for example, who Jesus was his successor. Uh, chose 12. He had 12 special advisors and 12 uh, uh, counselors. Mm. And, uh, the, the, you know, the parallels just go right down the line of uh, how important the number 12 was in Scripture and how in the Old Testament, and how important uh, uh, that concept of uh, of 12 uh, uh, patriarchs. Mm-hmm. Jesus actually tells the apostles at one point, in the world, you'll sit on 12 thrones. Right. judging the 12 tribes of Israel, which is a pretty amazing thing to say to, to a group of men, you know, that you're, you're going to be taking the place of the patriarchs whom our whole nation is built on. And uh, uh, then in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John sees the, his famous vision of heaven, and all the foundations of the New Jerusalem are within the names of the 12 apostles. Mm-hmm. So this idea... Uh, you know, another factor, one of the first stories that's told in the book of Acts is the story of how the apostles seemed to have perceived an emergency right away, and that was that they were that they were short of man. Jesus had defected, and now they were the 11 and not 12 anymore, and it seems to have set off alarm bells. Mm-hmm. They said, we, we've got to get a, a 12th man in here as quick as we can. Yeah. So uh, uh, one of the first things they do is... Uh, go to their fence, uh, so to speak, in baseball terms, and bring up one of the 70, who Jesus also picks a larger group of 70 disciples that didn't get the same special role as one of the 12. But he picked, they picked one of these eventually, Matthias, as the, uh, uh, as the pinch hitter, so to speak, for uh, Judas, who had failed. So all of this is very on the surface of the story, and there's this surprise, uh, surprising blindness to it on the part of people who, who don't see that something important is going on here. Right. Do you think it's just, um, do you think it's a, a rebellion against the, the danger that um, that people might go toward Catholicism? It sounded like you were kind of thinking that that was this, this man's motivation. He was afraid that you were moving a direction toward toward um, toward the Catholic uh, community, basically, the Catholic Church. A and and, um, and that, well, that, that was, well, that was well, a yeah. risk, and so you're not really free to actually assess it honestly. It's almost like a, a reaction, like, I don't want to even think about that. Yeah, re- reactionary is how I describe yeah. it. And uh, uh, so, yes, uh, uh, he recognized that this was a different view of, of salvation. Uh, 
part of it, I speculated in the introduction to the book that part of it was probably a reaction to the very horrific uh, wars of religion that shook Christendom uh, mm-hmm. in the 17th century. And the uh, people on both sides were weary, there were crimes and atrocities on both sides, etc., and uh, a, a general disgust that uh, human government <laughs> all around came into the world, especially in religious matters. And in part, evangelicalism is based on this idea that, uh, you know, in, uh, I don't know if you see in old movies, uh, uh, movies of the 40s and 50s, you'll sometimes see there were signs in restaurants that said, food untouched by human hand. I guess they were having trouble with uh, uh, with hygiene issues, spreading disease at that mm-hmm. time. So uh, I think uh, uh, evangelicals, the motivation of evangelicalism is a religion untouched by human hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that it's just me and my Bible. God and I work out a special piece, separate piece. Uh, uh, we, we don't have any confidence in churches. We really don't have much confidence in the people in the pews next to us. And uh, if I could just sit down and open up the Bible and try to figure it out, and if I figure it out right, I go to heaven. That's uh, an appealing idea to people who have uh, completely despaired of, uh, uh, of the, the human element in our religion. Mm-hmm. And and when you say the human element, that that is really what's so beautiful about how Jesus picked his apostles. I mean, there's definitely a human element. I mean, we can start with Peter, and I mean, he messed up pretty good sometimes. Mm-hmm. But isn't it just cool how you know God knows us? He knows our hearts, minds, and souls. He knows our failings. He knows that. Um, you know, just our humanity, and yet we have some of the greatest leaders in our apostles in how they live yeah. their humanity. Well, that's exactly right. I will say that, uh, I, I second your point, of course, but uh, I will say that sometimes the element of uh, fallibility and, uh, uh, you know, almost comic, you know, I think sometimes... Uh, Homilists get a little carried away and make the apostles into sort of the comedy relief of the piece. You know, mm-hmm. I've sat through—I'm afraid—I've sat through uncomfortably through more than one sermon where both a Protestant or a Catholic minister would kind of make fun of the apostles and would talk about their missteps and all the rest of it in a way that I thought was very irreverent. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the, the early fathers would have thought that it was irre- irreverent. Yeah. I uh, have. Uh, uh, I have read uh, my speciality, I guess, is after having certain people ask me to talk about the early fathers. And in reading the early fathers, get a very, very different attitude toward the apostles than that. They speak of the twelve apostles in only just slightly lower terms than they do of our Lord Himself. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, think about it. These men uh, were personally discipled by our Lord Himself, but before that, we know that at least. At least four of them, and probably many more uh, of the twelve, uh, were, had been disciples of St. John the Baptist before right. mm. the baptizer turned them over to Jesus, which was his job, to make, make the way straight for the, uh, for the Lord, so uh, prepare his way. And uh, Jesus tells us that John the baptizer was the greatest of all the disciples. So this is a group of men that spent some years probably under the discipleship of John, the greatest Old Testament prophet, mm-hmm. to turn them over to, to uh, the second person of the Divine Trinity to finish the work. So uh, the, the early fathers talked about them in very, very reverential terms. They talk, 
they talk about uh, St. Clement of Rome at one point says that they had a, God had given them a perfect foreknowledge of how things were going to go. And also, uh, Jesus, before going back to heaven, uh, tells them, once I'm gone, you'll do the same kind of works that I've been doing and greater works. Right. And yeah. if you look at uh, if you look at the Book of Acts, you see it's very easy to establish that they did the same works. They made the blind to see, made the lame to walk, and all the rest of it. Raised people from the dead, uh, and this begins in the Gospels themselves. Yep. Jesus yep. sends them out to cast out the devil and all right. the rest of it. So, uh, right. Yep. Absolutely. You know, we went from yeah, we went from one uh, finally sanctioned miracle man. You know, his miracles are a sign of of the uh, divinity of his mission. Well, he gives that same sign to the twelve apostles. They do the same works that he did, which uh, uh, he himself says is, if you, if you can't believe the testimony to me from Scripture, then believe to the works said. Amen. Well, Ron, we're going to have to take a quick... Vote, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to jump in here. We have to take a quick break, but uh, on the other side, I want, to, I want to break open you know, how the apostles can invite us more profoundly into encountering the gospel. So we're going to step away for just a couple minutes, but we'll be back with Rod Bennett uh, and more Real Presence Live right after this. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. S.J. Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, S.J. Machine strives to understand and meet our customers' production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. S.J. Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. If there is a merciful God, how can he allow such suffering? I'm Father Chris Alar. God took his greatest risk in giving you his greatest gift, free will. He risked that you may choose not to love him and to hurt your neighbor. But even then, God wants to bring a greater good out of evil. There is no worse evil than a creature nailing his creator to a tree. Yet God brought a greater good from it, your redemption. God doesn't want you to suffer, but he allows it. Why? Because your suffering can also be redemptive when you share in the cross of Christ. It is not easy, but when you learn how, it changes everything. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. 
Hey there, thanks for being with us here on Real Presence Live. We are having a high-octane conversation about the role of the apostles, uh, really in our spiritual lives in many ways. We're talking to Rod Bennett, who wrote the book, These Twelve, The Gospel Through the Apostles' Eyes. And Rod, we were talking in the first segment here about how the apostles really are profound mentors, guides, uh, spiritual, I don't know if you'd say icons, uh, that they're people that can show us, for one thing, the power of God to transform us into into something great like that they're in many ways they exemplify christian hope uh that that we're we can be um far greater than than what we had envision or hope for and that the apostles themselves had a privileged look into the mission and the ministry of jesus and they can teach us a lot about about him and, and what he was all about right absolutely the uh, uh use the word mission and that's appropriate uh I didn't actually come up with the blurb that the, my publisher, Catholic Answers, put on the back of the book, but I'm very happy with it. They, they wrote, uh, The Men Were the Mission. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, that's really the idea in a nutshell. People forget, when Jesus came into the world, he worked on those guys mostly. Yes. He did, pre- he did preach. He did heal the public, the general public. Most of the time when he spoke to the general public, though, he used uh, obscure metaphors that left them wondering, mm-hmm. or some of them wanting more, but he didn't give them, uh, you know, real theological training. He gave that to the Twelve, and that's really important. He didn't write a Bible, not himself. Right. He did not sit down and write anything, as far as we know. So uh, what he did was poured his doctrine into human vicars. That sounds like a Catholic word, but to, to do something, and it is, but to, to do something vicariously mm-hmm. means to, 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 to live through somebody else. And Jesus lives on earth vicariously through his chosen successors, the apostles. That was the reason he brought them in. He, uh, uh, he knew that he wouldn't be with us uh, in person during the church age. And uh, that, you know, obviously it's true. On a radio station uh, called, or a radio of broadcast uh, ministry called Real Presence Radio, it's very appropriate, I think, to talk about the real presence, surely, mm-hmm. in, the, uh, uh, in the sacraments and in, and in other ways, that he is really present. He promised to uh, be with us always. But in another real sense, uh, there's a real absence that we sometimes forget, and the Church tradition wants us to understand both things. Hmm. Uh, The the last mission, the the last word in the New Testament, the last uh, thing that the uh, Apostle John tells us, that we're calling out Maranatha for Jesus. We're calling for him to come back. Uh, I don't know how many people are old enough to know these days, the great old classic film, Shane, where the little tow-headed boy is calling out for Shane as as he rides off into the sunset at the end of the movie, calling out sort of pitifully, Shane, come back, you know, we need you. Mm-hmm. That's the tone that the Church has traditionally taken. Yes, the sacraments are an inestimable boon to us, a, a, a comfort to us, but the characteristic attitude of the Church through the ages is to always be watching, like the ten, like the ten virgins with their lamps burning, uh, be calling out for Jesus to come back. We want you to come back and live with us as a man among men, as you did for a while during those blessed years. And uh, that's just, that Jesus, after all, is a man, mm-hmm. permanently a man. So his place really is with men. So the return of Christ, which will be Paul Apostle for the 
first to learn about, that there would be a second coming as well as a third. They, uh, uh, they called out the rest of their lives for the promise to return because they missed him. Doesn't mean they didn't believe in the spiritual presence, but the, the, uh, the real absence was something they were, they mm. were feeling. And we sometimes forget to feel it too. It's the, we shouldn't pretend that we're not, uh, that we don't miss him. Right. And, uh, uh, the, the characteristic attitude of Christians through the ages is, the happy ending for us is the return of Christ. The when He comes back, and we're not uh, we're not uh, uh, pining for Him anymore. So that that's something you get when you study the way the church fathers looked at the twelve apostles. Right, and I love how you talk about the the real absence. And obviously, as you said, we have the the real presence of Christ present in the Eucharist. But there another way that He uh, maintained that presence in the early church and continues to do so was is through the apostles, like uh, Saint Paul. Right. Uh, in many ways, we're, we're reading the Acts of the Apostles right now during the Easter season. You're seeing them, as you said, going out and doing the things that Jesus did, and more so. And uh, so when Ananias and Sapphira lie to Peter about bringing the proceeds of the sale of their house, he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. Um, and, right. you know, you see Paul basically understanding himself as being an expansion, an extension of the, the mission of the suffering servant. Absolutely. And, we, we speak about Peter as the vicar of Christ in a, a special way, but in an important way, all of the twelve were vicars of Christ. Right. They're all mm-hmm. acting right. in persona Christian. Yeah, we encounter Jesus there. through them, right? Exactly right. Yes, and also the, the idea that uh, uh, Jesus made that link himself. Very, very profoundly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, uh, uh, "He said, whoever hears you, he told this to the apostles specifically, whoever hears you and accepts your message, hears me. Whoever hears me, hears the one that sent me, that is God the Father. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. Right. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one that sent me. So uh- there's an absolutely perfect chain of identification between... If this is Jesus' way of saying a word from the apostles, and they teach authoritatively, is a word from God himself. And that's that's the profundity of the idea of the vicarage of Christ in the Twelve Apostles. Yeah, and you just explain really one holy Catholic and apostolic church. You know, what does that mean to be apostolic and, and the essential mark of the whole church? Yeah, that uh, we not only name our churches after the apostles, that they're glorious churches and uh, and beautiful cities all over the world named for the Twelve. But the Church itself still, in a very way, in a very important way, uh, operates under their government. Uh, the great Church councils, you know, sometimes when the Pope has stepped in in ancient history, say the 5th and 6th century, as sometimes happened, Pope Leo the Great and others, when Pope Leo made a famous decision that, that settled the debate for the council, the council rose up and, and cried out, uh, Peter has spoken through Leo. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a there's a, a sense of that, the absolute unbreakable nature of that chain between a woke from God through Christ to the apostles. Yeah. So, Rod, we only have like two minutes left, but you, you wrote a book here about the apostles, not just as an intellectual exercise, right? The, how can we take that into our own spiritual lives? How do we take that into our own practice and benefit from that so that we can see the gospel through new eyes, uh, through the apostles' eyes? Well, I would say uh, we should take an increased reverence for the Church, here, yeah. because this is, these are effort, efforts that God made to ensure the sound government of the Church. So when the voice of the Church speaks 
through the voice of the apostles, and the apostles, of course, have successors in the church today, then we take that word with a profound reverence. In mm. fact, the same kind of reverence that we take would take the word of Jesus if, it, if we were here. So there's a very practical lesson here. Even though sometimes we know that human church leaders make mistakes, they sometimes do wrong. And I wrote a whole book called The Bad Shepherds about <laughs> about the times when that has been when it's been very hard to do this. But but a way to show that we understood heard and understood God's point here is to treat every true teaching of the church as a, a word from God Himself. Awesome. So, Rod, we're in the last minute here, but where can listeners learn more about you and about uh, about your book? Go to Catholic.com. Our friends at Catholic Answers Press published this book, and they're the, they're the best place to go to get a copy of it. They're uh, good people. Their ministry deserves support, and uh, you'll, they'll, they'll get you a copy quick, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for taking the um, the time to be with us, but all the more to to really dive into this topic and to break it open for the rest of us to really explore another avenue of profound richness within our Catholic faith. Uh, there's just so many gems in in every area you look, and uh, the apostles are not the least among them. They are they are a tremendous gift to all of us. So, thank you so much for the work that you've done, Rod. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right. Well, we are going to have to step away once again, but up next, it's a story of how adoption transformed the lives of three people. Stay with us on Real Presence Live.